This podcast is Challenging Opinions and is presented by William Campbell. Thank you for downloading the Challenging Opinions podcast for October 9th, 2017. News written to be shared on social media and the new news websites in general have gotten a bad rap over the past while. In this podcast, I'm talking to a writer for a major online news source who's also responsible for their social media content to see what she has to say about it. Challenging Opinions is the podcast where ideas are tested. Whether you are left or right, conservative or progressive, devout or skeptic, what matters is the strength of your argument, not the strength of your voice. Haley Jones has worked for NBC from the Rio Olympics and also wrote for New Republic, but now she's a contributing writer for the Daily Beast and she also works on the Daily Beast's social media team. Haley, do you get your news from social media? I do. I primarily use Twitter for breaking news and Facebook for long form. And what I really want to explore in this interview is how do you think the news is being shaped by social media. I know that you have to tweet out and uh, share in all the other platforms the stories that you do for um, the Daily Beast and all the other writers there do. Do you think that the stories are now being written to be shareable? I think the stories are still being written with the same meat and impact that they would if it were from an actual print edition of any of these magazines and newspapers Mm -hmm. but i the headlines i believe at some publications are being a bit more as we would say quote unquote clickbaity where it's just trying to get the traffic as far as that goes but with social media i think it makes news more accessible to people because you don't have to necessarily pay for the day-to-day subscription of having the newspaper dropped at your doorstep anymore. You can just log on to your Facebook page and you see what happened in the world right there. There's a couple of things I want to I want to explore with that. First of all, it's often said that if something is free, it might not be worth the money you pay for it. Do you think that it's possible the news itself has been degraded because, first of all, outlets don't have as much of a budget to produce it? And secondly, because it has to pay for itself in the way that, as you mentioned, clickbait, it can't be that, that uh, the cover price covers the, the uh, cost of the writing. I don't think it's necessarily causing the writing to be degraded in any way. I mean, news is news. You can't change the facts of a story Mm -hmm. as far as that goes. Uh, I think the only difference would be you may see more advertisements on a a website Mm -hmm. or anything like that. But as far as the writing itself from reputable sources like BBC, New York Times, Wall Street Journal, their writers are very strong. They're the same. They're the quality has not changed for Mm -hmm. these publications. Mm -hmm. It's true. And I note that you mentioned the BBC and New York Times, and those are outlets that have very strong, um, very strong financial streams. They've got money coming from other sources. The BBC is essentially paid for by a poll tax on everybody in in the UK who has a television. They have to pay something like $200 a year flat rate to the BBC. Uh, the New York Times, perhaps less so now, but it does have, although since uh, this year, its its subscriptions have shot up. 
that's not most of what gets shared, though, is it? Well, a lot of their articles do get shared. Other articles that the are, are you going into the whole 2016 election situation? No, no, not at all. News? No, I'm I, I'm not necessarily fake news, but just the co- content okay. of the news. And I hate to 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 beat on you, Haley, and I don't want to make no, you you're a bad. Fine. I don't want to make you a bad example. <laughs> but I'm looking at a couple of recent headlines that you wrote for the Daily Beast. One of them is. Ted Cruz's Twitter account liked a porn video and the internet went wild. Another headline is Melania Trump heads to Houston hurricane zone in high heel stilettos. I'm not sure those are two headlines that would have made, um, made the headlines on the BBC or the New York Times 10 years ago or even today. Uh, I do think Melania's attire as far as appropriateness would have possibly made it into both the times and the BBC, uh, Ted Cruz, as far as that, I, that I don't really necessarily count as hard journalism by any means. That was more of just the world's reaction to what happened with that. Mm-hmm. But I think with what's happened with the age of social media is you're finding things that these stories are coming from social. So, when someone likes something, that becomes a story because most people wouldn't necessarily know. There's a lot more transparency because you can't hide things since everything is so public. Mm-hmm. So while Ted Cruz's like may not have happened 10 years ago because Twitter wasn't that big 10 years ago. Mm-hmm. Um, th- there is, of course, a sneaking uh, hint there that either Ted Cruz or whoever was operating his Twitter account, which I strongly suspect was not Ted Cruz, was, I right. don't know, watching porn on a different tab and hit, hit, hit the wrong button by mistake. Oh, th- it's, it's very clear that's what happened. <laughs> yeah. Um, I-, I particularly don't care about that. Uh, it doesn't change my view of Ted Cruz at all, although it might change right. the, the view of some of uh, Ted Cruz's hardcore supporters. But is there a danger that if, and these things show up in my Twitter feed and my Facebook feed, like I'm sure yours and many, many other people's, do you think that that mix is perhaps crowding out headlines that are more serious? I think that comes down to Facebook's algorithm and the social media platform's algorithm on how they prioritize certain stories. Mm -hmm. And that's what the way they work is what you are interested tends to pop up. And unfortunately, there's no way for the publications to know what how that is going to be affected or what's going to show more. I know at the Daily Beast, we prioritized our biggest, hardest stories, we try to put those at the top and make them do a big push on them and make sure that they are showing up on everyone's feeds mm-hmm. of all of our big exclusives and everything, anything breaking along those lines. Sure. And I, again, don't want to beat on you and definitely don't want to beat on the, on the Daily Beast. And mm-hmm. it might be just that these algorithms, for particularly for Facebook, but also for Twitter, are realising what our worst selves like to see and they're giving us that rather than perhaps what our best selves might feel we need. Well, I think that was actually a big problem with the 2016 election. We're finding that Facebook was pushing these Russian-backed propaganda, this Russian-backed propaganda that ended up being basically false statements about all 
all the other GOP candidates and mm-hmm. Clinton and Sanders. Like that's that was a big part of it. It was that they were pushing things that were inaccurate. Sure. And I saw, I think a few days ago, Rachel Maddow did a long piece on how apparently um, web servers based in Macedonia, which is part of the uh, former Soviet Union and other places right. in Eastern Europe, apparently under the control of Soviet or of Russian military intelligence, were flooding various accounts with uh, news stories and, and fake stories that suited mm-hmm. a particular agenda. It's obviously not your fault, but we're in new territory here, aren't we? This, this could be quite dangerous. Exactly. It is a very big problem that Facebook is going to have to address. They need to have some way to filter what is real and what is fake. And do you see anything that could possibly do that on the horizon? I mean, Facebook claims that they are working on different algorithms to siphon through everything, but we have yet to see anything implemented as far as that goes. Uh, There had, I mean, you can, uh, on Twitter itself, you can buy a Russian bot army for Mm $100. The Daily Beast reported on that a couple days ago. So these avenues are very easy to obtain Mm -hmm. and they are very easy to inundate people with false stories and false information, which is a problem. And I think that comes on the social media platforms themselves, that they need to rectify these issues. Sure. Isn't there a a core problem there that essentially the, uh, you know, lies run sprints, the truth runs marathons, and in an online environment, you can just flood the environment with uh, nonsense and malicious nonsense, and that inherently uh, the truth is at a disadvantage there. Yes, absolutely. Uh, At that point, that's when you need to make sure that if you've come across something that seems very outlandish, actually check what you know to be a reputable news source. Sure. And and I'm sure you do that and many people do that. But there are people out there who like particular type of stories. And I don't mean like by clicking on the like button. They, right. they like to have their views confirmed. Actually, I have to include me myself in that. You know, when I come across something that I inherently feel like I want to believe, I might mm-hmm. check it out. And I probably have an awareness that I should be careful about that, you know, a story that appeals to me very much that I, that I might be more gullible when I want it to be true. But an awful lot of people aren't that sophisticated with it. Right. I mean, people, people want to believe what, like, they, they want to believe what they want to believe mm-hmm. as far as that. Like, if they see something that they connect with, they want that to be true. So as, and it really just comes down to the social networks actually stopping this foreign propaganda that's like targeting these awful groups and doing this basically inundating the feeds with false stories mm-hmm, mm-hmm. because that's that's essentially what happened with the election. Yeah, and I'll link in the notes for this, the, the Rachel Maddow, I'm pretty sure it's on YouTube, the Rachel Maddow story. Um, mm-hmm. that, and it seems to have been really very organized, much more organized than was previously thought, that yes. uh, people had essentially planned and executed a very well thought out, uh, a very well thought out strategy and one part of it was simply swamping messages so that they had bots there that were right. looking for particular trigger words, which would 
typically be hashtag sympathetic to Hillary Clinton. And they mm-hmm. would then just flood those threads and those accounts with n- memes and with uh, nonsense messages so that uh, stuff sympathetic to Hillary Clinton would be drowned out. If I was Hillary Clinton, I'd be pretty sore about that, but I'm not. And, 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 um, uh, my interest is more on what's likely to happen going forward. Do, well, first of all, I can ask you because you work in it. Does the Daily Beast have any strategies either implemented or in, in planning to, uh, try and counter that sort of behavior? Not that I'm aware of as far as those campaigns that were run against the the various uh, users beforehand, those were, they were used through Facebook targeting. It was announced yesterday that you, Facebook has ways to target anti-Semitic groups. Mm-hmm. And these are things that they probably shouldn't be able to target mm-hmm. because they probably shouldn't have those groups on Facebook. So, so, so what that means, sorry to interrupt you there, what, 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 that, what that means is that if some advertiser wants to go along and say, here's a chunk of money, Facebook, I want to get my ad to people who are anti-Semitic, Facebook will, or at least Facebook's advertising algorithm will cooperate with that. Yes, they have a list of various groups that you can go through and see they, that fall under various anti-Semitic things like Nazis, neo-Nazis, etc. Okay. And that's, I think... We haven't heard the last of that. I, I certainly don't no. know all, I don't know all of the facts on that. And I don't think uh, really anybody, uh, certainly not anybody who's going to talk to either you or me can tell us all of the facts on that. But there's one other aspect right. of it that I'm interested in, which is not so much how the, the social media is influencing the news that we hear, but how it's influencing the way politicians behave. Now, I, I try to avoid, just because we hear so much about it, I try to avoid the T word on this particular <laughs> podcast. Um, but there's no question that Donald Trump honed his strategy, and he had it very well crafted, to suit the the social media world. Do you think that there are some politicians who are actually changing their policies in response to this? I don't know if they're necessarily changing their policies, but I do think they are changing the way they are responding. Uh So instead of necessarily releasing a statement or going on air and giving remarks, they are now tweeting responses. I think they're being a bit more off the cuff with some of Trump's more out there tweets. Mm -hmm. (laughs) Um, And they're definitely being a little more curt in their reactions whenever he kind of goes off on one of his little Twitter tirades. And I think that is sort of shifting how politicians work in the sense that they are not really using the traditional press or press situation mm-hmm. that was on in Washington. So instead of going through the press office and releasing a statement, they're now just tweeting, mm-hmm. which is what that off the cuff, you're, it's getting more personal with it. Like, is it more personable? It's more actually reactionary. It seems more like in real time versus it going through a bunch of people, which mm-hmm. is both good and bad. I, I remember way back in the day when politicians would say, oh, I don't want to talk to the Washington media core. I'm just going to do town hall meetings and talk to the uh, mm-hmm. talk to real voters. And that was really an excuse for 
getting journalists out of the room and dealing with people who Mm -hmm. are inexperienced in the media and who couldn't ask sharp follow-up questions. Do you think Mm -hmm. that, um, again, avoiding the T word, do you think any particular (laughs) politicians or maybe all of them are managing to avoid, you know, the, the talented hard questioners by just putting out their stuff via Twitter? Yes, I do think some are potentially avoiding uh, avoiding media, like actual interaction with journalists at that point. However, a lot of the ones that are becoming bigger on Twitter, you have John McCain that's become bigger on Twitter. Mm-hmm. Um, you have Lindsey Graham who's become a little bit of a bigger voice and with Kamala Harris. They are using it more as they know where the people are getting their news from. So now they're taking their voice to those platforms to make sure people actually see. So I don't know if it's necessarily... It's politician pending, but I would say more often than not, it seems not as a way to avoid interactions with journalists, more so that it is to actually get the message out to the people. Mm-hmm. Um, if you and I had been speaking even a year ago, we would have uh, we would have possibly been talking about the you know the death of the old media. Certainly, right. um, certain presidential candidates uh, were were very enthusiastic about that. But in fact, mm-hmm. uh, the New York Times and other outlets they've seen a um, a spike in their subscriptions in the last year. Um, yes. Is this a maturing of the market? I think it goes with what has been happening in the world. There has a lot has happened in the past year. And I think that's why people are now going to, they now know where the news is. So New York times doesn't like print isn't as big of a market for New York times. So now they're moving to digital. And I think as I think it's a way to shift from old school journalism to new school. Mm-hmm as far as that goes, but you still have, I mean, New York Times, Wall Street Journal, they still have their hard copies. So you still have that if you love the getting the print on your fingers feel like you get that still. Mm-hmm. But people are definitely seeing, there was a sh- dramatic increase in subscriptions for Washington Post, New York Times, Wall Street Journal, once Trump was elected. Yeah, And yeah. it's there's a direct correlation between subscriptions and how things are progressing within the primaries and the overall election. Mm-hmm. Um, the other the last topic I really want to talk to you about on this is the silo effect. And I think fairly obvious that, that uh, the Daily Beast is on the liberal side in, mm-hmm. in uh, the news media, so to speak. It's getting harder and harder. And I try to do it, but it's really getting harder to find outlets that cannot be defined as being distinctly on one side of the political outlet or, you know, the political spectrum or the other. Way back in the day, Walter Cronkite gave everybody their news and everybody at the water cooler the next day had heard the same news, even if they had a different view on it. They had, mm-hmm. you know, to use a phrase, that they might have had their own opinions, but everybody was working with the same facts. Seems now like you can get your own personalized set of facts as well. Uh, is that damaging? Yes. Uh, I do think that outlets need to be a bit more careful with making sure that they are relaying the facts without their little side comments. Mm -hmm. I think that's very crucial and very important. And that was actually a huge problem with 
elections. Sure, but well. I'm, I'm not talking. I'm not even talking about inaccuracy, and I'm not suggesting that and most outlets are actually pretty good on accuracy. But journalists right. know. I mean, one of the first things you learn is that the journalist is the one who is selecting the facts, and you can select one set or another set of entirely true facts and communicate completely different stories. Um, mm-hmm. that's, that's, that is a danger, isn't it? Yes. I mean, you can't say, you can't reveal a set of facts that completely reframes the story. Mm-hmm. You have to include everything to give the whole picture. You can't just leave half the puzzle. I, I don't want to personalize it to the Daily Beast, but if you open, for example, the Huffington Post, I, I don't think there's mm-hmm. been a day that they haven't had some rose-tinted uh, story of how some, uh, some, you know, child of undocumented immigrants had contributed wonderfully to the, uh, to the society. And I'm sure all of those stories are true. And if you go to, I don't know what their opposite is. Breitbart, maybe you mm-hmm. they, like. There's literally never a time when they don't have some story of some crime committed by an undocumented immigrant. Right. The drip, drip of that pushes those two audiences in completely opposite directions, and that's a, a powerful negative force, isn't it? Yes, um, I would say that outlets definitely need to be giving both sides of the story. However, in stories like that when you're going for a human interest story that's very personalized, you, you're only going to have that one. There is not necessarily another side. Mm-hmm. You have to find the other story. So if they, it's, it's one of those outlets do, I do know of outlets that are covering both sides of that as far as it goes. Who's good, do you think? Um, I know we've, we have covered it on both sides in the past uh, it, as far as immigration goes. But but surely, Haley, both of those stories are completely, uh, are, in in my view, both of those stories are completely bogus. Because if you're running a story of I don't know somebody doing great in their high school, you know, in their SATs or something like this, or somebody committing a crime, a murder, whatever, neither of those stories on their own are big enough to make the 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 front page of a of an international news site. Right. The point of those stories is to the, is the adding in the identity of somebody being in the out group or in the in group, be it you know undoc- undocumented immigrants or whatever. Mm-hmm. So even just including those stories at all is is bogus, isn't it? Well, I mean, those stories are meant to sway people's opinions on the immigration climate within America at this time. Mm-hmm. That that's what they're there for. Yeah, to show obviously. either. Right. I mean, it's very clear that that is what they're doing with those stories. Uh, They're trying to show the either the importance of DACA or what someone may view as why DACA needs to leave. So, I mean, that in that sense, yes, it's pure peddling to sway people's views on these issues. And one last thing, Haley, if you saw if there is a bright future, what is it in news? I think you're going to see a much more a much more accessible news world. Mm-hmm. It's it's at your fingertips now with the digital age, and that's people are going to become more informed, and hopefully that helps dictate a much more brighter future than right now. Haley Jones, contributing writer for the Daily Beast. Thank you very much for talking to me. Thank you for having me. If you like the Challenging Opinions podcast, please rate and review the show on iTunes and other podcast providers. Share it on Facebook and Twitter. Tell your friends. 
But most important, make your view heard. Email podcast at challengingopinions.com. That's all for the Challenging Opinions podcast published on October 9th, 2017. I have links for Haley's articles on the Daily Beast and references for things we mentioned in the show notes for this podcast that you can find on the website. And do you know someone who I should interview? What topics should I be covering? I'd be really interested to hear your feedback. And if you like the podcast, there's one thing that you could do that would really help other people to find it. Go on iTunes and give the podcast a rating and write a short review. There's a link on the website directly to the iTunes page. Also, please like the show on Facebook. On Twitter, you can follow the show at Challenging O. You can also follow Haley Jones at Meet Miss Jones. And most importantly, subscribe to the show. It's free. You can use Google Play, Apple Podcasts, or any other podcast app or software. There's links and an RSS feed all on the website. And if you don't use a podcast app or software, you can subscribe by email just by putting in your email address and you'll get a new alert each time a show goes online with a link to listen and zero spam, I promise. You can find all of that or get in touch with me at www.challengingopinions.com. Coming up next Monday, that's October 16th, I'll be having the first part of an extensive interview with the former CIA spy, John Kiriakou, who spent time in jail for leaking details of the CIA's torture program. The Challenging Opinions podcast is produced and presented by me, William Campbell. Thank you for listening.